What's up, team? Welcome back to Master Your Mindset Podcast, a spot to get your mind right. Can't just train the body. You got to train the mind. We have a special guest, my good friend, Hannah Pryor. Now, when I was doing some research, man, what a what a bio and rap sheet. I'm going to try to do my best to summarize this. So the founder of Priority Group, she's a keynote speaker, an executive coach, um, a wife and a mom of two amazing kids. Uh, she's been featured in Forbes, Fast Company, and Glassdoor. Um, and for a long time, she was considered one of the best recruiters on the East Coast. And we are also our mindset coaches at a company called Limitless Minds. That's how we met. But Hannah, how are you? I'm good, thanks. I always feel very awkward when people read my bio to me. And I'm like, yeah, I did that. I did that. But thank you. I'm good. How are you? And you've heard, I'm doing wonderful. I can't wait for this conversation. You've been someone when we met like, I don't know, a year and a half ago. You know how some people just kind of stand out? Like, man, I like their energy. And they Very seem nice. um, confident, but like warm and someone I can learn from. So, Hannah, I love following you and, and reading what you're doing. You're out there making big things happen. It's been a big, a big year yeah. for you. A big year. It's too, been a right? very, very big year for me. Yeah. I, I feel like there was a lot of uh, inventing something from nothing. And, you know, some things didn't work and people don't really know about those <laughs> because they sort of, you know, faded away into the ether. And then a lot of things that really did work. But thank you. That's very kind. And I feel the same about your energy. You're always such a doll and grateful and warm and exuberant. So I'm happy to be part of your show. I'm honored that you asked. This is great. This is a love fest. I love it. Um, but how about this? <laughs> just from my understanding, I like to kind of have our listeners just know who our guests are. Like maybe just talk about yeah. who you were as a kid. Yeah. I am the firstborn child of Pakistani and Indian immigrants, which any other firstborn child of immigrants will probably sort of immediately know what that means. So my parents came over. My mom was born in Pakistan. My dad was born in India. My mom married my dad when she was 17 and he was 30. They were arranged. They exchanged exactly one letter and one photo before they were betrothed to be married. Uh, exactly 11 months later, I was born. So they did not really have time to be husband and wife for very long. They were pretty much, you know, met each other, were engaged to be married, married, had a child. So we've been a family unit for a very long time. And um, my dad... I have a little sister as well, but my dad grew up very poor. My dad did not have much. And my parents are what I would describe as the true working middle-class success story where they grinded and hustled and worked really hard to get my sister and I into college, have college paid for. Um, but there was a very strong message from my parents growing up, which is we've done all this for you, right? We, we've hustled and grinded and worked hard to do all this for you don't waste it. And so I think a lot of that has driven my ethos and the way I show up in the world um, and, and doing it in my way has been a lot of my journey over the last 10 years or so. I said, is there a moment or a person that helped shape you or your mindset? Uh, there's been a lot of people that have helped shape me in my mindset. I think, well, so, so a little bit of history, if we fast forward, you know, I grew up in Delaware. I went to University of Delaware. I went to grad school at University of Virginia. And I, my first job out of college was at EY, which is a huge international public accounting firm. My immigrant parents were very proud that I got a job at this company. And I remember being at the beginning of my third year, looking around going, I hate this. <laughs> like, I hate this. I don't like this job. I was working really long hours, but I don't mind working long hours doing something I like. I just, I didn't like it. I am not the personality to be an auditor, which will surprise no one at all. Uh, but I think, you know, at that time, there were a few friends that I really trusted would be honest with me. And they kind of said to me, 
why are you doing this? Right. And I said, well, I work for a big name firm, makes my parents really proud. You know, I kind of made their dreams come true. And they're like, what is, what do you want? What's your dream? And I don't think anybody had asked me that before. I was like, that's on the table, right? I'm actually allowed to have a conversation with myself about that. And I think that's when the wheels started to turn about what are my strengths? What are my passions? What am I trying to feed here? And I would say that was the turning point where I started to chase things that felt really fun and energizing for me from a career standpoint. So maybe why don't you, why don't you answer those questions? Well, sure. what, what, what do you want? What, what does fuel you? And how would you yeah. take, make that transition? Because I think a lot of people, they're yeah. in a, um, a career or they're doing something that they're comfortable with or they're expected to do it. And yeah. then they're like, am I really fulfilled? But I have this car payment and a mortgage and a, a paycheck, mm. but am I really happy? Mm-hmm. So maybe help us with that. Yeah. Um, before I answer that question, I know you've got a million kids approximately. So I'm assuming you've seen the movie Encanto yes. with the, uh, yes. the Luisa Madrigal, the one yes. who's like carrying the weight of the world the on her shoulders. Yeah. We've listened to an Alexa a million <laughs> yeah. times. So yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I think I am Luisa Madrigal minus the biceps, right? Mm-hmm. I, that really her her story, her song resonated about mm-hmm. wanting to carry her family's legacy on her shoulders, you know, they did all this and now I'm going to make sure everybody's okay. I'm the oldest of, you know, little sister. I'm like, this is all going to be okay. And it's going to be on me. So first of all, it's terrifying to start to think about what do I want? But what I realized was I love to talk to people, not shocking to anyone who's ever met me. (laughs) Um, I love to make connections. Like I think one of my natural strengths that took me a while to identify was I am a very quick synthesizer and dot connector. So people will say one thing and I'll either hear something in what they've said, or I'll, you know, kind of connect a dot between something that they've seen or done or had a skill set in. And we sort of use those things to reach an outcome. So I don't believe in, you know, at least maybe my scarcity or or fear mindset was not such that I could just drop my career and do something entirely different, right? Like open a bar in the Caribbean. So I got really intentional about how do I make a career pivot that feels really good? Not a 180 flip, but a pivot, right? Like a side turn, Mm -hmm. which led me to staffing. So I worked in accounting and I took a job for 14 years in finance and accounting staffing, which let me talk to people every day you know, helped with that dot connection. Um, and I'm, I'm self-motivated. So it was something where the harder I worked, the more I got to see the fruits of my own labor, but also got to help a lot of other people be successful, mm. the harder I worked. That felt really good at the time. I love that. I, once you say being self-aware is such a powerful skill as a it leader is. in terms is. of um, what gives me energy? What am I curious about? Where, where, where do I feel like most of myself, but how can I leverage experience and knowledge but you pivoted to an industry that you're in, but you did it into a, a skill set that you would love and enjoy. And that was brilliant. Well, thank you. And I think you and I, we both feel so strongly about this as a mission. You know, I think a lot of us as adults of call it this generation came into self-awareness later, like a deep self-awareness later. And I just wonder, there's no regret. You know, I think everything was a learning opportunity. Everything was a gift. I don't look at anything that happened in my life, public accounting career included, as something I wish I didn't do. But I just wonder how my choices might have been driven differently if I had been taught the tools of mindset and self-awareness mm-hmm. younger. Um, and so it really, it feels exciting to me that it is such a forefront 
skill set. You said it's a great yeah. leadership skill. It's it's the leadership skill. Number one. Right? Well, well, well one. maybe you know, maybe go back, think to yourself when you were younger, just out of college yeah. and knowing what you know now about self-awareness, maybe give us some kind of tools or what some questions when you coach your uh, clients. Mm -hmm. This one's actually very easy for me because I've been spending a lot of time thinking about this for myself and for my clients and for sort of my next chapter that's happening this year. Mm -hmm. I came to a conclusion that felt very obvious once I realized it, but it was, it was eluding me until then that I cared very deeply for other people's approval for most of my life. So started probably with my parents, right? I wanted my parents to approve. Then it was the people I worked for. Then it was the people that were just in my professional orbit. You know, it looked good that I worked for this type of firm. And even when I went into my staffing career, which I enjoyed and loved deeply, I cared about the status and the recognition and is henna, you know, in the top 10% of the company. And I always incorrectly attributed it to being always for, you know, just wanting to perform at a high level, which there was some truth in that. I don't think that that's false, but the honest come to God moment I had to have with myself was how much other people's approval of my choices was playing a role in the choices I was making. And so that discovery for me changed a lot of things, changed the trajectory of a lot of things. And when you say the start of awareness is awareness. Yeah. <laughs> How right, simple is right. that true? The awareness just of be, awareness. <laughs> just being aware. You don't have to have an answer or a solution. Yeah. But just being aware of this is where I think this is what I think about. This is what I focus on. This is the story I'm telling myself. Yeah. That to me is step one. When I'm coaching, yeah. I always go to exactly what do you focus on? What do you think about? How do you see yourself? How do you see your environment? Let's just talk about it and let's uncover yeah. some some chains or these old untruthful stories and these fears that we have to kind of dig yeah. deeper in um yeah so my biggest fear is disappointing people mm -hmm. and i've done a lot, of a lot of therapy and a lot of uh self-reflection as i've gotten older um but I'm, just, I'm a pleaser i want people to like me i care about what mm -hmm. people think too much you know um, so I, I, I vibe with, you know, mm -hmm. what shaped your mindset to where you are now, why <laughs> yeah. you have so much empathy for what you do. Yeah, yeah. that tracks. I, I think you and I share that one too, for sure. Uh -huh. And you're exactly right. You know, the beginning of a coaching journey or even a, a really robust corporate training on this topic is peeling back the layers. And, you know, we grew up in an era in a society where you get an A on the test for having the right answer, for raising your hand for having the solution right away, who's gonna to get to the result the fastest. You know, our conditioning is not our fault. We all grew up in an academic society that heaped us with praise when we did those things well. And so now to think actually the prize or the, 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 the joy is in peeling back the layers and not knowing and discovering that's the good thing, that's an adjustment. And also failing. People. Yeah. And not letting yeah. it be the end of the world and you're not defined by that. Right. Right. Yeah. Although that that failure, you know, especially growing up in academia and then growing up in households that celebrated mm -hmm. only success, it's not a oh now I know and it's over. That's the first step, right? The awareness mm -hmm. is the first step, and then it's deepening the awareness, mm -hmm. and then it's deepening it more. And then well, then it's kind of like now what? Now I'm aware. Now what? Right. Now that now I'm aware, what, what am I going to do about it? Just yeah, just <laughs> yeah. knowing. Uh, maybe talk about yeah. your your staffing career. You were very successful. Thank and you. I would, I I would love yeah. to. Uh, you were. Yeah. Let's, like, let's, we don't have to. We don't have to <laughs> like, shy away from greatness, yeah. Hannah. No, um, no, not here. Um, so let's. What was your philosophy? What was your approach? How did you dominate? Let's just talk about uh, that. Well, thank. I like the word dominate, and I will receive yeah. that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, 
it helps to give a little bit of context. Was I the absolute number one person in the company? No. In fact, one of our shared friends, Casey, he was kind of the number one guy, right? But I got a lot of attention still in the company. And there was a particular reason why. The reason why was that my children are now 11 and nine. So throughout my entire career, I had young babies and toddlers and I'm a hands-on mom, you know, no knock to anyone who has, you know, nannies, et cetera. But I didn't want that for myself. I did not have a live-in nanny. We did not have live-in grandparents. You know, my husband works full-time in a demanding job and I really wanted to be a present mother. And so a lot of the narrative and any type of sales job or anything that's commissions heavy is that once you don't have as much time and effort to put in, your numbers can't quite sustain their previous levels. It's, it's a little bit of a numbers game. So what happened was my kids were born and my numbers didn't go down. They actually went up and I worked probably at least, you know, maybe two thirds as much. Like I quit my day by 3.30 every day. Uh, value uh, of mine and my family is travel. So we would travel mm -hmm. for six weeks out of the year internationally with our kids. And everyone was like, I'm sorry, what? Like, this is not, this isn't how it goes. This isn't how mm -hmm. it's supposed to work in this industry. What are you doing? I don't understand. And so I think what I really took stock in is what was different was it wasn't just a volume game for me. I really wanted to learn what made people tick, right? Mm -hmm. What is the psychology? What is this person feeling right now as I'm reaching out? What, are the, what is the resistance bubbling up in yeah. their body? And I really prioritized self-teaching myself on mm -hmm. psychology, which... Mm -hmm makes the current job, you know, that much more <laughs> obvious, but that was my secret sauce. That's what helped me, I think, dominate in your words in less time and such for such a consistent run, because there was a yeah. lot more strategy versus mm -hmm. a lot of the players who were playing the volume game. Yeah. And, and I read an article on LinkedIn that someone posted a mom who took off seven years and then, then, then Apple hired her, a staffer mm -hmm. hired her and she did all these great things. And they were just talking about, if you want to get shit done, hire a mom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I believe that because you can flip it to like, well, yeah. of course you'd hire a mom because they're organized. Um, they're smart. Uh, they can manage people. They can look at a situation. What's the most efficient way to, to execute this? Um, having, having compassion, having drive, having courage. Of course, yeah. we hire moms. Right. We're moms right. on our team, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If you are a mother who cares at all about balancing your life, which again, there's no such thing. Let's say harmonizing your life. Mm -hmm then you don't have time to waste, right? I still believe in rest because so rest is time. time well spent, but we know how to maximize every minute. Even the rest minutes yeah. are maximized, right? So hundred percent, I'm not surprised by that post at all. Well, well I'm, I'm more efficient when I'm more, I, I use the word active. I don't say the word busy because I think people mm -hmm. glorify the word busy. How are things going? Uh -huh. I'm busy, 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 yeah. busy, busy. I was like, right. Badge of honor. Right? Like I'm not impressed by that. Right. Um, so I'm active, right. man. Let's go. I'm, you know, we got the, the calendar and I feel like I think better. I was yeah. a better athlete when I was playing more than one sport. I just, it helps you just kind of not overdwell on one thing. You just kind of keep moving. And what's, what's most important now Re reading, um, getting to, to neutral mm -hmm. by, yeah. you know, one of the greatest mindset coaches of all time is like, what's the next right step? What's the next right step? What's, my, what's the next right step right now? And not no wasted moments, no wasted days. Yeah. Um, so, can I, um, can I add something that kind of just yeah. landed when you were talking about playing multiple sports and how you mm -hmm. liked that? I think mm -hmm. one of the other things that was a huge permission slip for me this year is I read something that said, there's many categories of people, but largely there are marathoners and there are sprinters and we're not all the same. So marathoners, they like the consistency of, you know, a little bit every day and a little bit of rest every day. And it looks kind of this way every day. Mm -hmm. And they're working methodically towards the goal, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. some people 
are sprinters. I realized I am a sprinter and it's not a bad thing. I actually do my best creative work, my best thinking when I have a little bit of pressure around me. So I actually like to run a little harder, run a little faster, get a little more out of breath and then take a longer prolonged period of rest. And I think when I read that, I was like, you know what? That's freeing, right? That's freeing to know that there are multiple ways to achieve that outcome and build in that sort of awareness to your process. It doesn't have to be this guru's way or that guru's way. It can be your way. It's just about that awareness. What way serves me? Yeah. And that to me was really helpful to understand about myself. That's good. That's really good. That awareness piece again. Um, but I want to drill down a little deeper on how you recruit, influence staff, grow your business during those 14 mm -hmm. years. Because I, I was a former uh, national sales trainer. So I'm just curious about influence, about here's a goal and here's human beings that we have to connect with and rapport and what's the problem and what's here's the solution here's the execution of how we do this yeah and managing a lot of different things the cell is challenging it's complex or maybe it's not but yeah. if, if you were to go up on stage and say okay here are three things if you want to influence okay. people you yeah. want to grow your business not as an entrepreneur because not everybody that listens to this podcast is an entrepreneur let's mm -hmm. we'll, we'll get to that yeah. But if you have a service, a widget, a product that you want to sell to somebody, that's your job and you have quotas, mm -hmm. what do you say your like keys are? Yeah. Okay. This is, again, this is my favorite question in the world. So I've got you. So I've actually got three that I talked to you about. Okay. Context, cognitive empathy, and then a little bit of color. So context is most people in sales are like, this is what I got. This is what I'm going to tell you. This is all the features that it has. And I can't wait to tell you how amazing it is. And my firm's been doing it for this many years. It's all this content that they throw at people and they don't pay nearly enough attention to the context. Context is what are other people? What is the person on the other side? What's going on in their worldview? So my favorite example is Daniel Great. Pink is one of my favorite authors. And he says, if you're a vacuum cleaner salesman and you're trying to influence somebody to buy your vacuum cleaner in 2022, you can tell them all about your features, you know, the hose and the bag versus the bag list and how quiet it is. They can Google that. They can Google that. That is not an added value for you as a seller or an influencer or a persuader. What's more added value is that you understand their context. So the wise seller is no longer a vacuum cleaner salesman. They are in the home cleanliness business, which means do you have a dog? Do you guys have hardwoods or, you know, carpets? Do you keep your window open in the springtime when there's a lot of pollen? They know the landscape. So context is right. number one. Um, cognitive empathy is, you know, empathy in our world. And I know you feel me on this is what is the other person feeling? Empathy is what, are the, what is the other person feeling? Cognitive yeah. empathy is what is the other person thinking? Right? So there's emotional empathy. What is the other person feeling? Cognitive empathy is what is this person thinking right now when I'm sitting in front of them? And most people are afraid to not only go there, but even more afraid to say it out loud, right? So Colin, I'm about to, set, I'm about to sell you this here notebook. It's a great notebook, it's amazing. What is Colin Henderson thinking right now? I already have a million notebooks. What the hell is so special about her notebook? I'm thinking I have a right. daughter who loves notebooks, so she actually probably want it. Right, <laughs> right. Okay, so you're thinking about your family when I'm talking yeah. about notebooks, right? Yeah, I was, I was. Yeah. So cognitive empathy is me stopping to, hmm. you know, I don't care about the stripes and the, you know, binding. It's what's Colin thinking right now. That's interesting. Cause when you think yeah. of empathy, I, I go right to feeling and emotions, but yeah. you went to cognitive and that, that flows yeah. with the, the, th the three C's, which I like. 
well and like, yeah yeah so and, i like if, i like thinking so um uh, psychologists call this metacognition do you think mm -hmm. about your thoughts are you aware yep. of your thoughts are you in tune but but think about the customer are you aware of their thoughts are you yeah. thinking about their thoughts um, yeah. are you in tune with it are you curious do you care about right their thoughts and, and their right. feelings yeah yeah because in, in business both... it's less emotional but dude selling is emotional i mean it's 100%. telling great stories connecting um but i like that thought of like getting out of your world i i, I call it selling in, in one dimension you're talking about yourself and your product yeah message. Hey, what's up, Master Mindset listeners? Colin here, your mindset coach. I'm so excited. You can order my new book, Quiet Mind and Quiet Mind for Kids, right now on Amazon. Get the tools and strategies and tactics that I haven't shared on this podcast. So you get a mental emotional toolkit to lower nerves and increase unshakable confidence to perform at your best. I got Quiet Mind, which is for teens and adults, and Quiet Mind for Kids, which is for the youngsters. And parents, our kids need tools today to be their best. So go to Amazon right now and get your copy. And you and I both know, especially with our work with Limitless Minds, that you know cognitive empathy and emotional empathy, the thinking and the feeling, they're right there. They're, they're brother and sister, right? They're mm -hmm. right there next to each other. So we're not saying it's one over the other. One leads to the other. You know, They're there within split seconds of one another. But if we want them to feel a certain way, then we need to start by what are they thinking? Right. Yeah. Do we well, understand? And, that, Do we and that goes to context, cognitive empathy. So features tell, but the benefits sell or facts tell stories sell mm -hmm. a story of, of the, the pollen or the dog or the kids or the cereal on the ground or hardwoods versus carpet. Like that's storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's, and that's yeah. yeah. And that's much, much better. Yeah. And that's I, I honestly, that. you just, you nailed number three, the color is how do you make it real for people? right? Yeah. Put some color on it, color in the, between the lines. Nobody cares about your idea in theory. You know, what's a story yeah. about yeah. what you exactly right. Yeah. Facts tell stories. So what's a story? What's a case study? What's somebody like them doing with this thing and how has it benefited them? Social proof. Right? Yeah, that's so, it. yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I mean, there's a million, million ways of getting to an outcome, but I think those first two are the most missing. You know, the thing about color is having fun. And that, Yeah. And, and having color is letting your personality show itself and being yeah. different. Um, yeah. Man, I would love to sit in a work. Can we do a joint workshop on those three? Yes, absolutely. It's so yeah. fun. I it's funny that, that you talk about having fun also as part of color, because one of the mm -hmm. things I teach in my workshops is bringing the humanity back to any persuasion mm -hmm. conversation. Mm -hmm. Life is too serious. It is. It is too serious. We do not need to make serious. this more serious. And some of the most high performing sales folks have fun talking to people. We've gotten yeah. away from that. You know, it's credibility yeah. and color are not mutually exclusive. They actually work really well together. I love that. Well, you just gave me some things to think about and or just kind of reaffirm, but I love how you frame it in a system. I love how you have a yeah. process that you can come. I like from. models. I know you like models I too. I love models. <laughs> Rise are our goal, says James, can we fall to our systems? Um, yeah. But then let, let's talk about making the, the leap to start your own company. Tell, tell us about, about that process. How, what was the yeah. inspiration? How'd you start doing stuff on your own? And then mm -hmm. what led you to this point where, man, I'm, I, I can do this. Yeah, uh, scared the hell out of me. The, I thought about it for a few years before I did it. Um, I say this with all humility, but my golden handcuffs were tight at Cape Force. I was very successful there. So it was very difficult to leave that income for something that was relatively unknown, but I 
we'll just check my privilege right now. You know, I had been able to save a good amount of money and my husband is successful in his job financially. So I had a little bit of a cushion, a net to try something. And so, you know, I didn't just leap, you know, willy nilly. I sort of started to think about, started to vet, start to test, experiment. Is this something that I would be good at? And I remember talking to some folks saying, you know, a couple of my clients keep saying, I'd be really a talented coach or like a corporate trainer, but I don't know anything about that. So I actually enrolled in my coach certification program in DC while I was still at K-Force and they knew, I told them, I said, listen, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere, but I'm exploring this thing that I think could be kind of exciting for me. I don't know where it's going to go, um, but I was very honest and they were very supportive. You know, they saw me as an asset. They said, Hey, if she stays, this will be an additive skill set. If she doesn't, we can't hold her back, right? We have to see. So I, I kind of lived tandem lives for about nine months as I figured out what I wanted to do. And once I felt like my feet were slightly steady, they definitely were not fully steady or planted on the ground, but got a little toe on the ground about this new thing. I said, you know what? Risk-taking is kind of my thing, you know, doing things awkwardly and stumbling and fumbling and building the plane as I fly is kind of my thing. And so I just, I didn't think about it much after that. I just went for it and decided to figure it out as I went. So what advice would you give us then if, if we want to take that leap? Honestly, my biggest advice is place small bets. All of my success personally, and honestly, of the clients that I've been so fortunate and blessed to get to work with over the last couple of years, everybody's big success or their big transformation or their big moment starts with a small bet. So let's say there was you know, a program I wanted to launch or a training I wanted to try or coaching something, I would start small and I'd say, hey, somebody, you wanna try this? You know, Hey, little group, you wanna check this out? Let me tell you, a bunch of those didn't work. They did not work. They didn't really go anywhere. And guess what? No one knows. Like <laughs> the only people who know were those couple of people. It was a small bet, it didn't work, threw it away, right? Yeah. Then sometimes those small bets did work and people were like, this is really amazing. You're really good at this. This is a talent. I'd love more of this. When something work, you know, I'm, I'm not a big gambler, but just, just keep the metaphor, you double down, right? You go all in, you try a little bit more. And then all of a sudden those things snowball into something really big. But I feel like most people stop themselves before they even place the small bet because they think everyone is watching. And the biggest thing that I learned is Nobody's watching, especially right now. No Everyone's just trying to put one foot in front of the damn yes. other. That's it. Yes, that's it. So place small bets. I love it. That's great. I'm trying to summarize my journey. So in, in 2014, yeah, 15, I started learning about the power of the mind mindset. I had no exposure to that stuff. And it like changed my life. I had a lot of success at work. 2016, I was like, I'm going to write a blog and share the things I'm learning. Blog mm -hmm. for a year and just started posting things. 2017, I wrote a book and then started being asked to present, train, coach, and do that sort of thing. Um, and then um, at a men's retreat that Tanner just went to uh, this last week or so, this men's retreat kind of getting together and I was like, what's their goal? So this was 2019. And I basically said, you know, once I get three months in a row of um, making more income, speaking, presenting, coaching versus my other job, I'm going to tap the crowd. I'm going to do it. I'm just going to like, yeah, yeah. so, so I remember I was um, having a uh, dinner with my family, uh, getting hamburgers, cheeseburgers, this cool spot in, in Seattle. And I remember something came to my mind. I was like, do you think Tony Robbins would be selling catheters and doing <laughs> his yeah. job? Not that I'm Tony Robbins, but it's yeah. like, no one's going to take you seriously unless 
you go all in. If, if you want to charge what you want to charge and do the things and be on the stages, like you can't be half in, you got to go all in. And at that point, you know, cause I set that goal, I had made three months in a row. I was like, I'm doing it. Let's go. Yeah. You got to just yeah. take that leap. But it, it was, it took years, you know, it took yeah. um, from uh, learning, you know, these core concepts and then creating a philosophy and summarize them and practicing them kind of like hedge some small bets. And then once you kind of get a skill set, once you get that feedback that you really can do it and you have things set up, like, you know, and I did have stock that I walked away from and, but yeah. I was like, I'll, make, I'll, I'll, I'll make that back. I'm going to make that back in one month. Let's go. Just, just yeah. having that yeah. to, to bet on yourself. So if you're hearing this and we're just encouraging you, are you, are you fulfilled? Are yeah. you really fulfilled? Yeah. No, I'm just thinking, listen, I was I'm thinking about, I am. Oh, you're talking I'm about, thinking the, royal about you. the cognitive empathy of the listeners. What are they thinking? Yeah. Well, sometimes when you overthink you're dead, you know, over, don't ever analyze it. Like when you said, have a plan in place, get, get a coach, have some mentors, but um, space, space it out a little bit. It's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. I It'll love happen. what, what, what rang true to me in your story and in mine is there was small steps towards mastery that happened before any tipping point was reached, right? Nobody's expecting you to just make a leap, join a new industry, start fresh, right? There's a, there's mm. always a few minutes in the day to start building in tiny little steps towards something that means something to you. And so for both of us, that was, you know, for a while parallel until the tipping point came where it felt too big to ignore, but it wasn't, mm. the tipping point doesn't come before the mastery, right? The mastery has yes. to start to come before the tipping point. Yeah. So I, I have three steps. The first step is foundation. Get a foundation on what's your area of focus? What's problem are you solving? Who's the audience? What's the topic? Like mastery, whether it's going back to grad school or researching or being around mentors. The next step is creation. Now with your foundational knowledge, create products or is it keynoting? Is it coaching? Is it um, you've solved a problem with like Spanx? Like what, what are you going to do with that knowledge to help solve problems and make the world a better place? And then phase three is domination. You've, you've been an expert at the distribution or the execution of how to bring that product to market. And then hopefully in domination, either you scale or someone, someone buys it from you and you're very rich and right. let's go. So yeah, um, love it. let's do it. Okay. <laughs> you want anything to that? Uh, no, I agree. I like all of those steps. I like how they all end in Asian. <laughs> so very, very cool. And I love the domination. I think so many people shy away from words that feel that big. And I just am on a mission to reclaim language. Like, yes, let's dominate. Let's not just succeed or like meet expectations. Like I like the intentional use of that word. Let's freaking dominate. That's let's where we some. need to be aiming. Yeah. The power of language. Okay. Let's, um, I, I said this, I got maybe two or three more questions, but uh, I'm having a fun. Hannah, you're great. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Too. I love it. I'm learning stuff. I'm writing stuff down. Um, I talked to you, like, what does a coaching call look like? I don't think a lot of people realize the power of coaching Yeah. and how they're missing out. I think people wait for a problem or they have a therapist, but coaching is different. I mean, there's some similar blending of things, but like, we're not dealing with depression, and anxiety, but it's, it's more the phrasing. You don't need to be sick to get better. Right. So yeah. let's just talk about your, your philosophy on how, on how you uh, coach. Yeah. Uh, 
I wish I knew coaching was a thing when I was younger, because if the financial means were there, I would have been all over it. So the, I think let's first start with the distinction. Therapy and you know psychology and psychiatry, they're, they're a little bit different in the sense that they are at its core, there's a little bit of blend, but at its core, they're looking at sort of past patterns and behaviors, you know, things that we hold true and then examining those often from a clinical or medical context. Coaching is intended to be a little bit more present and future focused, right? What are we operating from today? And what do we want to do with that? How do we want to change our future actions as a result? So coaching conversations at their very essence are very rooted in building a much deeper self-awareness that is frankly inaccessible on your own at a level that's inaccessible on your own. And that's often done through the right questions. So it's less about teaching or advising or guiding as it is asking the question that will lead the coachee to come to their own insight moment, aha moment, oh, this is what it is, right? Um, there are other means and mechanisms for building awareness, but what a coach can do that you can't do on your own is ultimately you can hold up the mirror for yourself, but you'll only see one thing. We have our own cognitive biases, our own lenses. When we hold a mirror up, we can only see ourselves one way. And what a coach can do is essentially illuminate multiple other possibilities of what is versus what we see as truth and reality. And it kind of expands the possibility of Maybe I could do this differently. Maybe I am looking at this the wrong way. So a powerful coaching conversation, the goal is that people leave with at least one, but ideally multiple insight moments that they can then act on. And then through that, through those questions, you help them get that clarity. And then what I think of a coach is like, I have a sports background is they might give you one Thing to execute or one thing to work on sure. for that week or yeah. that month you know so it's, yeah so it's it's and it's also carving out time to meet with someone and talk about yourself and talk about yeah. your goals and yeah. talk about your habits and talk about where your mind is and and having that priority um to focus on yourself i mean most of yeah. us are focusing on the the business and the family but they don't like well how am i doing and yeah. having a network of support to run with you, to support you, to hold you accountable, give you insights, yeah. read this book, yeah. read this article, here's a podcast, and just kind of guide you through that. Um, but you talk about questions. What are two or three questions every person should mm. ask themselves? Ask themselves? Well, if you're coaching uh, them, like, okay, what yeah. are some questions that I mean, yeah. I want to get, I want to get better. Yeah. So I have a couple of favorites that I rely on. So I'll give you just some of my favorites, which you can ask yourself or somebody could ask you. So one of my favorites is, how are you complicit in creating the conditions for your life that you say you don't want? It's actually a, a Jerry Kalana one, or another version of that is, where are your fingerprints on this, mm -hmm. right? You say you want X, but where are your fingerprints on this? Or how are you complicit in creating these conditions? A lot of times when people are forced to answer that question for themselves, it takes away the very natural tendency when things are tough, that everything that's happening is happening to them. Mm. Right? Everything that's happening is happening around them or because of these external circumstances. So it sort of brings the ownership back into it. That's great. Yeah. And do you that's see people push, push, yeah. push back or argue their side or blame, you know? 
yeah. But, they, but you can't. They, but you can't get a delta or a change if if you're not aware of that. Yeah, they might. They might at first, and you know, I'll try to model through my own vulnerability an example of that. But most of the time, most people hear that question, and the, the reaction is almost always it's the same. If if they're on Zoom and I can see them, their shoulders kind of like, like fall, oh, and they're like, oh yeah, <laughs> that oh, noise. <laughs> yeah. How how do I how do right. I keep do, doing this? These yeah. Subconscious behavior. That's a really good one. Okay, that's one. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna have to figure out how yeah. I could word it to where it makes more more Mind. colonized yeah no, colonized I, I, yeah let's colonize it i do like that a lot because i can i'm, I'm yeah. guilty of this of course yeah what else yeah. This, this is really good what else yeah so one of my other favorites when we're trying to do just some kind of like self just a, a self dig right is what is the biggest struggle for you and that sounds like an easy one but here's the thing when i'm coaching someone 99 of the time the first thing they come to me with is not the biggest thing. There's usually something beneath that one. And so they'll come to me with, you know, one thing, two things, three things, or, you know, one thing that has a couple of different angles and say, man, this has been really hard for me, or I'm really struggling. And so to slow them down and say, okay, you've named this, this, and this, what feels like the biggest struggle? And sometimes they'll give you the truth. And sometimes you'll have to dig again, right? Okay. Is that bigger than X? And they'll say, well, okay, no, if it's really actually just the way I feel about this person, right? There's a there's a, a, an author named Michael Bungay Stanier who I like, and he wrote a book for leaders called The Advice Trap. And he says that one of the most dangerous things about giving advice that leaders tend to do a lot is we want to add value. So we rush to give advice. And usually we're not solving for the right problem. We're just solving for the first problem. Or solving a problem to make yourself feel like you're bringing value when you're actually, are you right. listening to what their needs are or their, their right. concerns? Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I think it's just slowing people down and myself included, my own coach does this for me because I'll give you the right answer you want to hear all day, every day. <laughs> so to slow, slow someone down long enough to go, okay, I heard this, but out of these emotions that are clearly, you know, at play or out of these circumstances that are at play, what is right now the, the hardest part mm. of this or the biggest struggle? People tend to have a lot bubble out of that question. Mm. Yeah. Cause I, I feel like I, I know the content. Mm -hmm. I know the theories. I know the execution, mm -hmm. but do I do it all the time? Yeah. Like, yeah. As, as I'm coaching in, in my business, in my marriage, with my friends, with my clients, it's just like, Oh, gosh, I love those two questions. Just, just creating awareness. I mean, it comes back to that yeah. concept. Okay, one more, and then yeah. wrap it up. Um, you know, so I, I can't wait. my last favorite is because it's, right now I'm living and breathing this world of talking about awkwardness as a superpower. So this is very top of mind. But one of my favorite questions is pretty simple. But what is the actual worst that can happen? Like mm -hmm. walk me through to the end of the line. What is the worst thing that will happen? Name it, describe it to me in detail. Mm -hmm. And again, this pisses people off and makes them want to hug me at the same time. Because when you actually, you know, visualize all the way down line, the worst case scenario, you know, I'm not encouraging people to be negative. I'm encouraging them to release so they have space for what actually is, right? We talk about neutral thinking. What is actually mm -hmm. true? And when they walk themselves to the end of the line visually about the worst case scenario, they realize, oh, it's just X, Y, Z inconsequential thing, right? Versus the, the mind monster that starts to build if we don't mm -hmm. let ourselves go down that yeah. path. And that just releases you from, mm -hmm. from the, the result, the outcome. Which, yeah, yeah. Which you, which you can't control anyway.
hundred so, percent. So, so once you release your attachment and your worth and, and draining precious mental energy, mm-hmm. obsessing over that, once you kind of can break it down, well, if this happens, what's the next right step? Stay neutral. Right. Yeah. Then I it's love, just, uh... it's kind of, it's kind of freeing. When, I, when we think about, you know, you and I both, we live in the world with, you know, Trevor's teachings on neutral thinking. And I love thinking about it. I was not good in chemistry as a kid, but I like thinking about the neutron, right? So a neutron is a subatomic particle. There's protons, neutrons, electrons, and a neutron, all a neutron is, is this subatomic particle that has no electric charge, neither direction, no electric charge. And so sometimes these processes of asking the right question, you, you can think of it as like, getting rid of the electric charge, right? Get rid of it, walk it through to its worst case scenario, name it, get rid of the electric charge. So then you can come back to a place where you can actually act on neutral. Yeah. Well, here's something I've been reading about. What's the opposite of uh, love? Fear. Okay, what else? Hate. Yeah, that most people say hate. T-Money, you want to jump in on this? What's the opposite of of, uh, love? I think, I, I honestly, first thing that would come to mind would be hate. Um, yes. But I really well, liked but, yeah. fear. That was, that was yeah. great. Okay, so so I would say hate and love have so much in common. Sure. Because there's a ton of emotion. If you don't have hurt or fear or threat, or how, how would you hate somebody? So the opposite of love is indifference. Because mm-hmm. I don't care what you do. It does not affect me at all. You know, so, it's, yeah. so to me, neutral, like sometimes I think like, we'll do, I don't want to live neutral, but like when I'm in a competitive, challenging, ad- adversity ridden environment, being positive is not probably the right thing because we got to get to truth. I can't create false stories of what has happened that it's not real. But then we know that going negative is never, ever, ever the right option because nothing good can happen from being negative so if you can kind of i wouldn't say stoic but if you can just say i love that neutron analogy of there's no charge either way it's just um what's in my control can i sprinkle a tiny bit of a psychology sauce on what you just said i love what you just said um this the psychology something i read recently was talking about we were talking about it in the context of uh being nervous and excited versus Mm -hmm. calm and they say it's a lot easier to go from nervous to reappraising it as excited than it is to go from nervous to calm. And the re- yeah. reason is nervous is a high arousal state. Yep. Excited is also a high arousal state. Mm-hmm. Calm is a low arousal state. So mm-hmm. to go from here to here is easier than to go from here to here. I think that exact same methodology applies to what you've just said. Love and hate are both very high arousal emotions. Yes. And so what we're trying to do is go to a low arousal emotion as a counterpoint, whether that's it's, the one you want to get hard. to, we don't it's hard. No, but to everything it. we're talking about. And uh, to me, there are two mental skills that mother of every single mental school there ever is. The first one is self-awareness. That's just one. That's how I, how you, in, in, how you internalize yourself. The other one mm-hmm. is perspective, how you internalize your environment and what you're going through. Yeah. Yeah. So, so having like more of a neutral lens, like, I'm not defined by this. The past doesn't yeah. have to predict what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. Um, and then, and then what I love in chapter four of Trevor's new book is talking about values. And it's like, am I, am I living in alignment with the values? Do my behaviors align with the values? You can't control outcomes. Um, but okay. Last question. We could talk for hours. Let's yeah. talk about the awkwardness. Are you writing a book? I'm writing a book. Uh, I'm writing know, a book. I'm declaring uh, possibly, it. It's happening. 
you know? Yeah. That's It'll exciting. be out by January. Wait, 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 but give us give us the backdrop. Yeah, um, I'm really excited. I've been wanting to write a book since I was in fifth grade, to be honest. But I made a mission, you know, kind of promised to myself I wouldn't write something until I knew what I wanted it to be, and it feels very clear to me now. So, the premise of the book is that awkwardness is not a weakness in the workplace. It's actually your greatest asset for professional growth. And I am on a mission to let the world outwardly, openly embracing the awkwardness that is inside of all of us as a step to greatness. And so that's what the book is about. And it's very heavily, you know, mindset and, and all the other things we love so much in, in its heart. I can't wait. I think all of us feel awkward. We just don't talk about it. We should. Yeah, we should. Yeah. Why not yeah. talk about it? We all feel it in some form or fashion. Um, yeah. But Hannah, thank you for your time today. Thank you thank for you. sharing. And I learned a lot. I love our conversation. We got to do this more. Um, I would love, I know, I know we did one um, training together one time, mm -hmm. kind of brought you in with one of my clients. That was really fun. Yes. Let's do it do again. Um, but you, let us know where we, we can find you if we want. Yeah more LinkedIn of your content if we want to hire you as a keynote speaker <laughs> or yeah. if you want to get coached up yes uh linkedin is my favorite playground and i believe i'm the only henna prior there so it's just linkedin slash in henna prior i am on instagram that's somewhat newer but i'm just henna prior there and my website is prioritygroup.com and that's priority with a y p-r-y-o-r-i-t-y group.com well i'm just gonna put this out there you're one of the biggest growing voices in this space. I feel like you're going to be you're very sweet. Thank you're you. You're going to be, I mean, you already are, I mean, you already are now, but people, <laughs> more people need to know about it. So we got to get you, got to get the word Thank out. You. More people need, need to hear your message. It's amazing. But Hannah, we end every show with this truth. Timo, are you ready to go? The body has limits. But the mind is limitless. All right, Hannah, thank you. Love it. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, you know, man, you know, man, you know.